morning. You doing good? I'm glad we have air conditioning. Praise God for air conditioning. I know I'm going to get amen out of that one. <laughs> well, we're going to finish up chapter 17 today. And of course, the title is The Mystery of the Woman and the Beast Explained. Now, every one of my messages is not all comprehensive, all right? I cannot cover everything. I'm going to hit some highlights. But I hope as reading through this book, you'll feel less intimidated to go and approach it, read it, ask God to illuminate and tell you what it means and apply it to your lives. You have the greatest gift, more important than any seminary degree you could ever get, and that is the Holy Spirit that resides in you. As a way of introduction, in the pursuit of power, prosperity, people will make alliances with each other, corporations. In other words, if some adults, parents want to help bring some change to the school, they might start meeting together and get more cooperation and working together to help make the school the best it can be. Uh, counties do this, companies do this, nations do this. And nations will go internationally for cooperation to help bring about change or what they want to see done to help hopefully make a better world. But what ends up happening is hatred and jealousy will eventually bring disunity and conflict. That's the same thing for us here. As we work together in unity to proclaim the gospel to a lost and dying world, there will be times of disunity and conflict. Why? Because we're all sinners. Now, I don't know about your house, but my house, Tammy and I have some conflict sometime because we're both sinners saved by the grace of God. It just happens. But how we work through that and get through that makes a difference makes all the difference in the world. Now, as you look at the text this morning, just as a woman has relied on the beast to carry her, the human race or mankind has relied upon the forces of Satan to achieve stability, growth, wealth, and power. But just as the woman is killed by the beast that supported her, the human race or mankind is destroyed by the very forces it used to advance itself. You hear this, I don't have enough time to chase this, but there's a lot of coming out about Hollywood, about people selling their souls to the devil, a lot of crazy stuff going on. This is what I'm talking about, the lost world relying on the devil to, to uh, get them money and get them fame. But in the end, they're destroyed by the very forces that they relied upon. Now listen to me very carefully here. People have a desire to build a society that's independent of God. We don't need God. We can do it ourselves. The answer was in mankind. And we're getting more and more uh, man-centric or human-centric in a lot of our things that we're doing as a nation, and even in religious circles, that concerns me very much. But in the end, God will use that desire to bring about punishment. And you see that happening in our text. Look at verse 7. The angel said to me, why do you wonder, or why are you astonished? Now John is astonished by the fact that there's a portion of the church that's being one with a hostile world. In other words, compromising, getting along with. Can't we all just get along type mentality? And that's what astonishes John in this whole thing. And the angel has... Uh, a little concern here. He's wondering why John looks so puzzled because 
there are enough signs to identify, identify who the harlot was. Similar descriptions of Judah can be found in Jeremiah chapters 2 and 3. And just as Israel apostatized and crucified the Christ in years following, the church would fall from a high calling, become an ally of Satan, and you can see that hint of this kind of sleeping in the vision. As time marches on, we will see more of the church and the state becoming one, but the church won't be the church as you know it. We'll get to that in a moment. But as you see the church, when I say the church, I'm talking about like just the Western church. I'm not talking about any denomination, just the church at large. As you see what's happening within certain denominations, even our own to some degree, you see this more compromising happening more and more. Back in verse 7, he goes on to tell John, I will tell you, or I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast. Now, this interpretation is given by an obscure manner, and it can only be understood by somebody who has spiritual wisdom. And you see that mentioned down in verse 9. Here's the mind which has spiritual wisdom. But it still remains a mystery for those who don't have spiritual wisdom. So I'm going to mention this again, but it's so important in these days in which we are living that you have spiritual wisdom, that you have spiritual discernment. Because if you don't have those things, you will be deceived. Because heresy doesn't come at you full blank. It starts with a little nugget of truth, and then it's twisted. So it sounds good. But in the end, it's heresy. It is false. What's happening even now is they take that and blow it even bigger. It's getting more and more in your face. The book of Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. Everything we see happening has happened before. But now we're seeing it more in your face. You have to accept it. And it's pushed more and more to the nth degree. He goes on in verse 8 to tell John, The beast you saw was and is not. It is about to come out of the abyss. Now, you recall back in chapter 13, one of the heads of the beast was wounded unto death, unto death, yet the beast lived. Revelation chapter 13, verse 3. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, literally slaughtered to death, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. This miracle of having once alive and then perishing, coming back to life, is what John is witnessing. Emerging from the abyss, though, is only a temporary circumstance. Look back in verse 8. The beast is going to go to destruction. Look at the last part of verse 8. And go, and go to destruction, or and is going to eternal destruction. So he comes back for only a brief period of time. Now the Greek word translated abyss, or in your King James it will say bottomless pit, is a reference place for, for the dead. Not dissimilar from Hades. This is thought of a prison house, if you will, for uh, departed wicked spirits. And that word destruction, yes, it means destruction and loss, but it means destruction, and it's a picture of uselessness. If you took a boat, and it's moored to the side of the dock, and you do the mooring, and you push it out, it's useless. No one's in it, and it's going to drift away into its own destruction. That's what's going to happen to the beast in the text. Now, in verse 8, after he goes and goes to destruction, he picks up those who dwell on the earth whose name has not been written 
in the book of the life from the foundation of the world will wonder or marvel or be astonished when they see the beast, that he was and is not and will come. The people whose name is not written in the book of life will be amazed and astonished at what they see this beast do. That's because they lack spiritual discernment. They lack spiritual wisdom. They cannot see through the deception. Now, obviously, the vast majority of people on earth at this point are clearly deceived by him. In order to see through deception, you must possess spiritual wisdom. And you see in verse 9, here is the mind which has wisdom. So how do we attain spiritual wisdom? Well, I'm glad you asked. This was quoted in Sunday school this morning, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's always a battle going to happen, and it happens right here every single day. And the devil knows, he's no dummy, what pushes your buttons. The battle begins here. We must protect our minds. We must be transformed by the renewing of our mind with the word of God. That speaks to reading his word, studying his word, memorizing his word, and putting his word into practice in our lives. That's why Sunday school is so important. Devotional times are so important. There's so many voices screaming at us every single day of our lives trying to get our attention. We must be careful what we put in. Like the old nutrition commercials I saw as a kid, what you eat is what you get out of it. Well, what you put here is going to affect you. It'll affect your heart if you're not careful. Like I said, the devil is no dummy. He knows you. He wants to confuse you. He wants to deceive you. All through this book, we see all these miracles and signs that the evil one does. And so many people are deceived by them. We have to make sure that we understand what the word says, what the word does not say, and apply it to our lives and our heart. In verse 9, he continues on, the seven heads are seven mountains on which the mountains sit, on which, excuse me, on which the woman sits. And there are seven kings, five had fallen. One is, the other has not come, and when he comes, he must remain a little while. Now, many have tried to find a reference to Roman emperors in this. Some have even looked to the Nero myth. The emperor that followed Nero was so much like Nero, they thought that Nero had risen from the dead and come back as emperor. That's the myth to which I'm referring to. But likely references to the seven oppressive kingdoms that persecuted God's people. Egypt, read about that in Ezekiel chapters 29 and 30. Nineveh or Assyria, Nahum chapter 3 verses 1 through 19. Babylon, Isaiah 21, 9. And Jeremiah chapters 50 and 51. Persia, Daniel chapter 10, verse 13. And Greece, Daniel 11, 3 through 4. Now added to these five would be Rome. The city of Rome was a contemporary to John. And the seventh follows. And then you have the eighth, which is the final expression of that which is actually of the seven. Look back in verse 11. The beast, which was not, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth. In is one of the seven, and he goes to destruction. 
He goes on in verse 12, The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not received the kingdom or have not risen to power. That's a New Living Translation. But they receive authorities as king with the beast for one hour. Now apparently these king kings are part of this uh, confederation of kings that have come together to fight this last battle. Now to identify them precisely is impossible, at least for me, to find any description of who these kingdoms are based upon scripture. But we know they only reign for one hour. That means they have a shortly, uh, relatively a short reign. And the reason for that, look back in verses 13 and 14. They have one purpose, literally mind. And they give their power and authority to the beast. These will rage or make war against the lamb. Oh, it's where it gets good. And the lamb will overcome. The lamb will conquer. The lamb will defeat them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. Aren't you happy today? Can't you stand up and shout today that we serve the king of kings and the Lord of lords? He wins. He has already won. We just have these little battles we must face every day. Look back in verse, let's see, verse 14. Those who are with them are the called and chosen and faithful. Well, who are those people? I'm glad you asked. We see the doctrine of election mentioned in Scripture time and time again in some way or fashion. Now, exactly what that means and how it works in relation to our responsibility is above our comprehension. After all, who knows the mind of God? There's things I read in the Bible, I can't figure it out with this mind, but I trust God has it all in control. And all efforts to explain this have achieved only limited success. However, there are some conclusions that can be safely asserted. Number one, salvation from initiation to consummation is the work of God. God's gracious plan, the extension of mercy, the substitutory atonement, death of Christ on the cross, recognizes that no human effort could ever satisfy the just mandates of God. God's election is twice affirmed to be related to his foreknowledge. Romans chapter 8 verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would not be so he would be the firstborn among many brethren. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the last part of verse 1 into verse 2. He has the greeting to those that Peter's writing to, and he goes, Who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours to the fullest of measure. So God has this foreknowledge. He knows ahead of time who's going to come to him and who's not, who's going to reject Christ and who's not. Even having that knowledge, he still reaches out to all mankind. Our job is not to sit down and figure out who we should go to, who we shouldn't. He gave us our marching orders, go to all the world, preach the gospel to everybody so that all can come to salvation and none, can, none will perish. We're not to decide who's supposed to hear or not. We're supposed to take it out. God in his foreknowledge, he knows. But we still have a responsibility 
to go tell the world about the gospel. Some people take this to say, well, he already foreknows who's going to be saved. We don't have to send missionaries out. We don't have to preach the gospel. They'll come to it because that's his foreknowledge. He was already planned out. It doesn't work like that. We still have a responsibility as believers in Christ to go tell all the world. And lastly, no one comes to the God the Father who is not drawn by the Holy Spirit. The last part of verse 3 and 1 Corinthians 12. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. My faith that I'm proclaiming this morning is a gift. I didn't wake up one day, whoo, I know who Jesus is. Holy Spirit revealed that to me through the preaching of the word, through singing of the word, through people witnessing to me who he is. Everything that I have is all a gift. I didn't earn none of it. And that is what we must put in our heart and mind every day. I was giving a gift that I do not deserve. I need to go out and share it with people. They can have the same thing. Some of you in here may be called to a vocational ministry and being called now to be a preacher like I am. Oh, I can't be a preacher. You can't on your own. But God knows what he's doing. He will equip you. He will guide you. Are you listening this morning? Are you paying attention? Verse 15, the angel goes on to tell John, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits or was seated are the peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. Her influence is global in scope. She has incredible influence on both the peoples and nations of the world. And she's able to do this because she is upheld by the beast. However, those ten horns that represent those ten kingdoms that come together with the beast, look what happens in verse 16. They will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked. They will eat or devour her flesh and burn her up with fire. She is just a means to an end. Uh, keep that thought. Political entities have always considered the importance of religion. Rather, the political leaders themselves practice the faith themselves or not, or simply use it for their own ends. Religion and the course of nations have been woven together. Now, you might think, well, how about these regimes that are atheistic, like Marxism? Well, if you look carefully enough, religion is there. At least religion overtones of such a utopianism which Marxism promises. Remember, Marxism says we all have equally according to our need, therefore no more class fair. It's like a utopia on earth. But in the, they will use it to correct people who will not conform. Religion has always been a convenient artifice used by the political establishment to bring about and enforce its will on people and used as a means of discipline to anyone who's non-compliant. They will take religion. Now remember, religion definition is man trying to appease or satisfy God. Well, Christianity says, no, you can't do that. Christianity is not a religion in my case. Religion at its very core is relational. It talks about how God has reached down in the course of human history to reach man through his only son, Jesus Christ. That's completely different. And I want to stress this again. 
There's nothing that you can do to satisfy the just mandates of God. There's no way. Uh-uh. The faith that you even have now that you believe Jesus is the Son of God has been given to you by the Holy Spirit is a gift. Everything that we have has been given to us. And look in verse 17. For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose or his plan. So everything that's happening is not happening by some accident. Excuse me. Even though the beast is going on to destruction, he does accomplish the purpose of God by turning against the woman and bringing about her demise. And the reign of the beast will continue only only until God's words are fulfilled. And in verse 8, the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. That is talking about Rome. You have to ask yourself, how would a first century reader understand this? So any efforts to say this is Babylon, the ancient city that was on the Euphrates River, fails at this point. I have to be very careful. Some identify this as a form of Babylonianism. And what I mean by Babylonianism, if you go back to the Tower of Babel, uh, the focus is on man and what man can, can achieve as opposed to the grace of God. And some point to a specific denomination who has a lot of their theology based upon the works. But you just can't pick one church out. Because they're not the only uh, place where Babylonium is expressed. And once again, this is emphasis on what you can do to make yourself acceptable to God. That's in contrast to the faith of Abraham and the teachings of Christ in the New Testament that underscore human inability and point to the grace of God alone. I cannot stress that enough. What I'm getting out of this chapter is a portion of people who believe they're part of the church align themselves with the state to accomplish the ends to a mean. But then at the end of it, as I'll state in a moment, the Antichrist is going to do away with it because he wants to be worshipped. He always has always wanted to be worshipped. But we have to get our minds around the fact that what we have is not works-based. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, now as a result of work, so that no one can boast. I don't, you know, I'm not the best speaker. There's better preachers than me. But why I'm standing here is not because Tim did anything. God called me. He saved me. He's with me every step of the way. Have I listened to him and done everything he's told me? I'll be honest, no. Have you? But you can experience God. You ever looked at somebody and said, I wish I could be like old so-and-so? He seems so firm and rooted in their faith. You can have that. The only thing that's stopping you is you. You have to be obedient to him and realize. I think some of you in this room even now are thinking, I have to clean myself up first. No, come to Jesus as you are. The focus of this chapter, as I said, is the age-old apostate religious system. 
and its relation to the government during the seven-year tribulation. During the first half of the tribulation, it's ecumenical, it's a worldwide body that will stand above government and be aggressive to true believers. Now, this goes into if you believe in pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, the rapture. Apparently, people are going to be saved through the tribulation, but it's going to be very costly for them. And at the end of the tribulation, Antichrist will terminate it and will demand universal worship of himself. In fact, as we find, I think in the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation, talk about how the Antichrist will go into the temple, sit on the seat of Moses, and declare himself to be God. That's the reason why uh, Left Behind started where the temple is. Because the temple needs to be rebuilt for him to do that. Here's the interesting thing as a side note. They have discovered what they believe is actually the Pool of Siloam, which is a little south of where the temple, where they believe the Temple Mount is today. Now the question becomes, well, if the pool's here, why would they get ceremonially clean here and have to walk that ways up to the temple? Perhaps the temple actually sat here. They've discovered some Roman coins underneath the Wailing Wall, the last western wall of the temple they believe they still pray to because Orthodox Jews believe they turn their back on it, turn it back on God. I said all this to say this. Perhaps maybe the Temple Mount is not what we think it is. If you see that temple start going up, it's coming quick. This final form of real religion will not be Christian in name. It will be atheistic, humanistic, a satanic system which denies everything related to the one true God and it will persecute all who fail to fall in line. In light of this, it's imperative for you to have spiritual discernment. First of all, do you know the Lord of Lords and King of Kings, as the Lamb's described in verse 14? Do you know him? Not here, but here. If you do not, in just a couple more minutes, I invite you to come, and I will introduce you to him. And your life will never be the same after him. If you've done that and you're a believer in Christ, a Christian, do you have a mind which has wisdom? And you see that in verse 9. And I want to end with this. I'm going to quote James chapter 14, 13 through 17. But before I do, time is running short. And how we spend our time is becoming more and more important, time is the most valuable thing that you can spend. Because once you spend it, you can't get it back. In light of all this that we discussed this morning, in light of all the 17 chapters of Revelation and the Bible as a whole, think about your walk with God even now. Are you a believer have you professed him as Lord and Savior of your life? Have you followed in obedience and declared that faith publicly in the waters of baptism when you died to yourself, raised in the resurrection power of Christ? And if you have, how are you spending your time? James chapter 4, verse 13 and following. Come now, you who say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow, we'll go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, 
we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, the one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. How are you spending your time? Do you have that spiritual wisdom and the discernment so when you go home and you turn on the TV this afternoon or tomorrow or the radio and you hear something being preached, will you have that spiritual discernment to pull up that Bible and look and say, that's false. It's happening more and more and more. Open your eyes. You'll see it. People are being misled, astray. If you have any questions of anything I may say, come to me after service. We'll sit down with the Word of God, and we'll open it up together. If you correct me by the Word of God, I stand corrected. I want to be right. I want to be preaching the truth. Not what I feel like, not opinionated, not what's going to grow the church by numbers. I want to preach the truth of the gospel. And what Revelation is screaming at me in this book is, Tim, time is short. Have that spiritual discernment and that wisdom to stand against the ways of the evil one so that some will come and hear and will be saved from the wrath of God, just as I saved you. That's the message. That's what God wants us to do. And time is growing short. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Even now, time is ticking by, second by second, minute by minute, hour by hour, day by day. And Father, you have, you have and are currently speaking to each and every one of us. Help us to hear. More importantly, help us to listen. be obedient things around us are getting worse by the day Father you've called us not to hide in our houses and our cars and our church buildings but you've called us to be witnesses on the edge of hell declaring the gospel to those who are dying and are lost. But we know in order to stand firm against the attacks of the evil one, we must be rooted in your word. That you will grant us the spiritual discernment wisdom we desperately need. Continue to move among us. And may your will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?